Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today we have a special guest, Jim Garn, who is the CEO of Quorum on the show. And Jim is big Air Force Academy guy, right? Serving in the Air Force for 10 years, also finishing at the Pentagon. Um, and he jumped into business where he successfully led operations across a number of industries, including automotive, software, and life sciences industries. And so, as I mentioned, he's the CEO of Quorum, which is a leading mission-critical operations to offer fast, secure, and reliable data backup and recovery for businesses. So, Jim, welcome to The Gumbo. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be with you, Demetrius. Look forward to spending a couple of minutes talking about the data protection and, and ransomware. Let, let's do it. I, I heard you were the right guy to to have this conversation with. So let's uh, let's let's dive in and have a conversation. Absolutely. And so uh, th- there's a lot of talk about ransomware uh, within the, the news, within the industry, and just it's it's everywhere. Even the White House is talking about it. They released a cybersecurity strategy a few weeks ago as well. And so uh, a lot of resources, a lot of money, and a lot of um, eyes are are looking at it. And so as a data backup and disaster recovery vendor yourself, what has been your experience with ransomware attacks? So we have quite a bit of experience just being in the business and having a number of customers out there. I mean, ransomware, I think one of the things that we see is that uh, your ability to defend against it is very difficult. So what you really need to do is make sure you're prepared should you be hit by ransomware. And that's where we really come into play with uh, the backup and recovery side of the business. Oftentimes, companies think that they're going to defend themselves and prevent the attack from entering into their environment. Um, what we find is that if a hacker wants to get into an environment, the odds are they're probably going to get in. And so, like I said, the, the, the challenge is to make sure you're prepared. It's interesting you mentioned that the recent release of the cybersecurity document strategy. We recently did a webinar on that to help uh, some of our customers and potential customers better understand the document, which was rather extensive and, and uh, a little bit challenging to follow. So we, we recently put together some kind of high points and talked about it. So it uh, worked out well. Yeah, it's. I think it's about 96 pages, 89 pages. It's it's almost 100 pages. So It references, and it, re- it references a lot of other pages and people and right. organizations. So anyway. And, but, and that's typical of a political document anyway no no one's gonna read it <laughs> just give me the give me the highlights when we were going through it i accused or i told my product vp i said who is actually putting together the presentation i said i think what they've done is they use chat gpt to put this together and, and uh, yeah and then published yeah. it yeah i, I wouldn't anyway. be surprised um some White House correspondents or someone on the back end, you know, decided yeah. to take the smart route. Um, 
And and so also, you know, just something else that I've noticed around ransomware is that everyone says that it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I think I said that right. It's a matter of when it's going to happen mm-hmm. because the statistics are, are rather high that you will one day uh, get some type of breach in your environment, whether it's ransomware or it's malware or it's some type of uh, phishing activity from some some bad actor somewhere, or even an internal employee, right? right. Um, all of that or any of that can happen. So when you when you're having conversations with with C level executives, Jim, what what are you uh, primarily trying to get them to understand about protecting their data as it as it comes to ransomware? Well, first of all, if you listen to what you just said, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. You talked about all the ways a bad actor could enter into an environment. And mostly what you talked about was how they could enter into an environment typically by some mistake typically made by an employee. Um, Not intentional, but how often, and and I'm a key target for, I get more spam emails saying click here, click there, and it's amazing how authentic they look. But what I emphasize is that it really starts with making sure that all of your employees are extremely careful that they, uh, if they even slightly suspect that uh, an email is spam or, or malware to make sure that they reach out to their IT group before they do anything with it. And uh, my IT guy gets regular emails from me saying, take a look at this. Is this valid or not? The other thing besides employees clicking on emails, it's making sure that within the IT organization that there is a well thought out strategy on how to manage passwords. One of the things we find is that um, companies sometimes, just because passwords can be challenging to stay on top of, um, they sometimes get a little bit lax in that space. And and I think that's another thing that uh, I would emphasize is making sure that that uh, companies stay on top of their password policies, strategies, and, and uh, making sure that they're changed regularly. The other thing, the final thing would be making sure that if they have multi-factor authentication, particularly for some of their key uh, systems, that they engage with that. We we launched multi-factor authentication um, probably about six months ago, six, eight months ago. And one of the things we're doing is when we install, go through a new install, we're making sure that when we complete that install, we're also... um, activating the multi-factor authentication with the customer so that because a lot of times again what we find is if we don't do it if we don't make sure it's done during that process people get busy they have other things that come up and they never do it and then they get hit by something and um, then they have a problem so it's really those it's kind of those things it's the people to make sure that uh, they're constantly on guard it's the making sure you're taking care of passwords making sure you're using multi-factor authentication would be the kind of the key things that i and then also making sure you have a top rate uh disaster recovery solution um because again you know we can we can talk about antivirus software we can talk about firewalls and all the things to 
shore up the, the walls around your environment. But again, as we talked about, and as you indicated, you talked about people, and oftentimes the challenge is more with the people and those types of things than it is with um, some of the software that is trying to prevent the activity. Yeah. And, you know, the, the way I think about security controls nowadays, especially like multi-factor authentication and two-factor authentication, is that it's like the analogy of in order to get a good job, you have to have at least a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. But it's more like now you have to have a degree from a four year university and also some type of if it's a technical position, an internship proving experience before you actually, you know, get hired at that at that particular job makes you more marketable. But those types of things now around security controls are like your four year degree. Like you really have to have those things built into a solution because zero trust is uh, <laughs> it's. It's a buzzword, but it's also a a way that security professionals started saying, hey, we don't give everyone authorization, right? So we're going to say we don't trust anyone, even the person who has access, give them minimal and least privilege possible. So one thing that's often overlooked as well in that disaster recovery solution, you mentioned that last, Jim, uh, which it's important. What do you think? disaster recovery solutions have, not what, but why do you think disaster recovery solutions have been often overlooked when it comes to ransomware? I think that in, some, in many respects, people think that they, they're, they're bought into the concept that they, uh, they can prevent it um, or that it's not going to happen to them. Uh, and so they've invested in the front end, they've invested in building the, the, the firewalls and those types of things. And they look at the and they think that I'm not going to have. First of all, they think I'm not going to have a disaster, so I don't necessarily need to invest in disaster recovery. And then if if they if they get beyond that, or if they're looking at ransomware, it's the you know the odds of me getting hit by ransomware they think are low, but you know it's like insurance. You hope it never hits, but when it does, it can be very uh, very painful and very costly. So. I, what, that's one of the things that we point out with, with our customers is that, you know, it is like insurance. And uh, it's when you think about it, and we have a number of customers that have been with us for a number of years, and they've been on, we sell an appliance-based solution. The appliance is, is kind of the portion of it that, that you know, you've got to buy a, a hardware, you've got to buy a piece of hardware. And sometimes they balk at that, but many of our customers have been on the same piece of hardware for seven years. So when you look at the what you've actually paid for the hardware um, over that time, it's it's minimal compared to the pain you would experience going through a ransomware or even a disaster. Again, we have a lot of customers in the Panhandle, of Florida, along the Gulf, and you know, as soon as when we see some of those sort big you know hurricane things building we immediately get on the phone and make sure that everybody's up to date and everybody's current so yeah and and actually you know there were a lot of news stories about ransomware infecting and encrypting backups as well and so yeah we have a backup but is that backup safe 
right? So we, we've seen different things happen to backups, which is your, you mentioned insurance, right? It's your insurance policy. But how can businesses ensure that their backups are safe from ransomware attacks? So one of the things we do is we do incremental backups and also their immutables, right? So that once you, once you back it up, it's, it's locked. And so essentially what, with our solution, what you do is when you, if you are hit by ransomware, you, you identify where, when you were hit by ransomware, you go to the incremental backup or just prior to being hit by ransomware and you spin it up on the, on the appliance. One of the things by using an appliance, uh, you do have, you know, when a lot of those ransomware, some of the high dollar ransomware attacks were taking place, the government was talking about the idea of air gap. And that's one of the things that by using a backup solution that is uh, an appliance-based solution or not connected into your production environment or not part of your production environment, you get that air gap, that separation between the production environment and, and uh, what you're expecting to be there when you need it. So, you know, this goes back to the, the making sure you have, you know, three copies, two places and one offsite. So... That's the thing that we, when you look at how to protect against ransomware, and if you have a ransomware attack, that's that's really our solution: is that you go to the you go to the backup that took place right before you were identified as being hit by ransomware, and you spin that up, and you continue running the business while you clean your environment. And maybe a random question here: Are, are you you've heard of Chat GPT, right? I already mentioned Chat GPT. I told you that. That's what I thought, Jeff. Oh, you did. I did. You did. That, you did. The you did. So you're true. testing me. I'm testing you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> My turn to test uh, you. you. Have you have you played around with it for like any business use or maybe personal? Uh-huh. I don't know. No, we did play around with it. I actually, we uh, we have a kind of a company that we work with on a regular basis, kind of a mentoring situation and. And uh, they were talking about ChatGPT, and it was right before it all kind of really popped up in the news. And so, my uh, one of my folks actually wrote a marketing piece using ChatGPT, and and uh, it was actually pretty amazing how accurate it was. I I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a scary thing. I'm still mm-hmm. sorting that out, but. Uh, right. But it was a great starting point, and, I t- and so I told him, I said, hey, good starting point. Now make it look like something we would have written or a person. You, know, mm-hmm. you got to break it up, do some bullets, do some, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, texture to it than just uh, a bunch of streaming words that sound good. So, uh, but yeah, so we did play with it a little bit. Okay, yeah. And I bring it up because of, you know, artificial intelligence and generative AI, and I mean, it's a, Hot topic nowadays. Everyone's jumping in the race. Google, uh, Microsoft, of course, they're like leaps and bounds uh, ahead. IBM's been doing it for decades, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Watson and the, the chess yes. matches, et cetera. But wh- where do you see AI and artificial intelligence and also machine learning uh, in, in the industry around disaster recovery and, and backup and recovery? Well, one of the places I see it is using it to better identify potential threats within an environment, you know, using it to learn and understand what the signatures look like that you're looking for, understanding, looking at things not just necessarily within your production environment, 
but looking for areas where you can identify that you are being targeted in advance uh, for a potential ransomware attack. So that's one of the things that we're looking at right now is um, adding some things to be more um, preventative or anticipatory and looking for those types of signatures that would indicate that there's a potential attack. Wild question here. Like, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Tell me something I don't know. Like, wh- what do you think this whole market is going? Like, something like futuristic <laughs> that that we don't know about the environment. Where do you think is headed? Well, you know, I, I, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is, in many ways, I don't know that the idea of disaster recovery is. It, I don't want to say it's a commodity, but it's it's kind of like a meat and potatoes type of a, a business. And that it's it's we do what we do, we do it well. We I think the the places where we will continue to grow is like I said, um, looking to be smarter about anticipating and identifying where there are potential issues. Because again, we, and you know some of the companies have, have already jumped into that space where you're. They're um, doing a lot more analytics of the data that's being backed up to look for those types of signatures and to be able to, you know, to look for that stuff. So I think near, you know, near term, uh, near to midterm, a lot of it's going to be continuing to, to see how we can uh, better protect our customers uh, and give them advanced warning of things that may potentially happen. And maybe one more question. Are, are you having any conversations around like storage and maybe the, the different tier tiering models of storage and storing some data on tape or for low cost, cheap, long term, you know, it's secure in storing it in the cloud. Are, are you having any of those conversations or it's just all straight disaster recovery and not a whole lot about like the, the tape uh, in the cloud? Well, we're always working with customers that are using, you know, we still have customers that we speak to that are using tape. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that we think that what we provide, whether it be through one of our di- devices, because again, what we have is we have a, our, our offerings are fairly flexible. We have, you know, a, a, like I said, an appliance-based solution. We, uh, we manage our own private cloud that uh, so you can either do replication of the cloud or you could actually do a direct cloud disaster recovery solution. So, you know, we're always working with customers and talking to them about the different methods of storage. One of the things that we are not is we are not a backup company, right? So, I mean, backup has become extremely cheap. Um, it's, it's, there's, and that's just not what we do. When we get into back, if we do offer a customer a backup option, it's you. It is in combination with a solution that will immediately, you know, spin up and be ready to run in five minutes for for a customer to get back online and back in business. So, so that's what we do. We don't. We don't. If we get into a situation where we're talking to a customer and they just say, "I just want to back it up," that's we're probably going to suggest to them that they look at. Uh, organization companies that that just provide backup. We do have, you know, we do have companies that that do tape. But in some ways, a lot of those companies that are still using a tape backup are looking for ways to get off of a tape backup. And and you know, again, with all of the 
different storage methods and types these days, and a lot of it getting fairly reasonably priced. Um, it seems like people are getting more and more away from that. We do have people that are doing things in the public cloud, you know, whether it's Azure or AWS. Um, so we do have customers that are that are doing things. What obviously moving their some of their applications to the cloud, and again, those are things that we can we can provide disaster recovery for. So we can we can provide disaster recovery for customers that are using the cloud uh, to run their environments. So to answer your question, yeah, we're we are encountering those are running. We're having those discussions with customers to find the best solution for them. Yeah, I remember everyone was like bashing tape. Tape is dead and it's going away. And I think we go through a, a cycle like every so many years where we think something's going to cease to exist. And, and maybe we're there with with AI and, and, and ML, like uh, with some of the things and innovations that's happening around that. But also just looking at your background, there's a lot of books there. What what are you reading now or what, what's your favorite book? Give us give us a book recommendation. <laughs> no, I was, I was, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I don't, uh, it's funny you ask for books, but don't people just use Kindles anymore? See, I, I, so, I mean, I'm an old school book guy. I got to have it. In, I love, yeah. no, I, I love, I love to handle books. You know, when I, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I, um, I didn't really put in the bio. I, I teach yoga and I oh. do a lot of yoga. So I, a lot okay. of the books that I read are more about mindfulness. I'm reading a book right now about studying breath and how breath uh, influences health and well-being and mindfulness and, and mental health. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a book, It's Breath by uh, James Nestor. So it's a it's not a real long book, but there's okay. a book for yoga. you. Wow. I mean, you... You, you got to be in great shape to to really take on yoga as a a, a professor or a profession. I do. And in fact, I taught this morning. <laughs> I had a six o'clock class. Yeah. So I it's something. I, it's something. I something I do on more on the weekends than anything else when I have a little bit of time. It's a nice. It's a nice. It's a nice break from uh, from the day to day stuff. Well, uh, it, it's been yeah. super uh, informative and insightful having you having you on the show. And uh, any, any final shout outs and uh, maybe uh, your website or blog post or follow on LinkedIn? Well, like I said, you're more than we did. Uh, we did recently do a, if anybody's looking for information on the, the better understanding of the security document that the strategy, strategic document that the government did and wants a half an hour recap of it, go, you know, feel free to go to our website, quorum.com and take a look at it. And, and, uh, you know, always, I always want to take, anytime I have a chance to shout out to the, the employees of quorum, I always want to say thanks because, uh, one of the things that's been great over the years since I've been here is that um, people stay with Quorum. They like Quorum. They believe in the product, and uh, it's it's always great to have them on board and, and great to be able to spend time with them. And, and how many employees do you have? Right, we're about 20, 27 employees. Okay, small. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're relatively small. Like you said, got, small but mighty. Um, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. 
All right. Well, uh, Jim, it's definitely been a pleasure. And uh, before we go, I want to plug the backup and recovery professionals LinkedIn group that I run. There are about 25,000 plus backup security storage, all different types of professionals uh, within that group having great conversations. So uh, just go to LinkedIn and search backup and recovery professionals and um, you can join the group. Um, and uh, also, if you happen to be on on Apple Podcasts, please stop by Data Protection Gumbo and write a review for us. Uh, and that helps us out. So, Jim, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for, for being a guest on the show. Thank you. And uh, also make sure out there in digital land that you you stay secure and you back up often. <laughs>